Hey everybody, this is Eric Wright, the host of the Disco Posse podcast here. This is a great conversation that I had with Aditya Nagrath. Aditya is a PhD in mathematics, and he took that skill and a gap that he saw potentially in his own child's learning that he said, is there a problem that I think we can fill? So he has a great platform called Elephant Learning, which is targeted at teaching kids mathematics, but in a way that really, really amplifies their capabilities in a very, very short time with a really great feedback loop and and way to do it. So it's great for parents, great for kids. Most importantly, you're gonna wanna listen to this if you have kids or have friends who have kids, the numbers and the statistics that we talk about are really, really eye-opening. Uh, so Aditya is a phenomenal person. He was It was a great chat. I hope you love it as much as I did. And if you do have kids, of course, you can check out Elephant Learning online. Hi, my name is Aditya. I'm the CEO and founder of Elephant Learning, and you're listening to the Disco Poppy Podcast. This is a really interesting opportunity, and I'm excited about this conversation. I've been a, a I, I kind of subscribe to way too much information sometimes in the world, and one of the the reasons I do so is I I kind of look to my myself as being a lifelong learner, and as a result of a lot of stuff I've done around mentoring and teaching and and engaging folks in in the community and the tech space and in and out of you know tech and startups and such. I'm always excited when I meet other folks who are in the industry who very much see the value of, of learning and what it means to further, you know, your own life in being a teacher, as well as connecting people to something that can really kind of foundationally change what, what they do in their day to day. And uh, I'm here with Dr. Aditya Nagrath. Uh, uh, I always love the doctor because it reminds me that you are you are literally a lifetime learner. You've 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 gone the distance on on a, a set of learning yourself. And I wanted to talk to you, Aditya, about. Let's quickly talk about you. Uh, how folks can get a hold of you online if they want to, and then we're going to talk about elephant learning and the story behind it. Okay, great. I'm looking forward to it. So. Um... How do you want me to start? Let's start with uh, your own background. So how, uh, uh, how did you get into the, the learning space? Obviously, again, you're, you're well-educated. So what was your background that actually, and, and whether that actually brought you to where you are today as, as being the founder of Elephant Learning? Perfect. Um, yeah, so I, uh, as you mentioned, got a PhD in math and computer science 2008. Um, so it was kind of a joint degree, but the focus was mathematics, um, and that was kind of a longer story. But from there, um, I actually went into contract software engineering. So while I was getting my degree, I had also been working full-time, part-time at different uh, contract firms or uh, software development shops. Um, and so I started a contract software engineering firm in 2009 um, called Elephant Head Software. And from 2009 to 2000. Um, 16, we put out 35 different product lines, and that's over 50 different applications um, <clears throat> to market. And um, in 2016, uh, I joined uh, Entrepreneur Organization, so EO Colorado. And basically, as I was joining this organization, there was a lot of people talking about 
uh, triple bottom line companies. So the idea kind of is, um, can you build a company where there's a measurable environmental impact, a measurable social impact, and then a measurable bottom line? And this idea really interested me. So from 2016, after I joined EO, uh, I, I had really been thinking about how could I build a company like that? And that's when I uh, started talking to uh, one of my ex-professors from the University of Denver uh, about particularly this project. And that's kind of when I came on board with Elephant Learning. That's really, that's really interesting. And it's, you, it sounds obviously that you, you started very much in, in the sense of you, you aimed immediately towards doing, doing good uh, by what you could do in, in developing your, your business. And how did that come into play? Do you have kind of a, a studied background in, in the impact of, of what we do in, you know, sort of environmental and, and societal? Or how did that come to be a, an important aspect of, of how you built Elephant Learning? Sure, I'm happy to talk about that. So one of the first EO events I went to, um, there was a gentleman there who was the CEO founder of Plastic Bank, and he told his story. And his story was, was that he was watching the news, and he saw that there was this piece of plastic out in the Pacific Ocean that's the size of Texas. And he said to himself, there's no way that's not worth a lot of money. I just kind of got to figure out how to monetize it. And what he did was he devised a system where people in India would pick up the plastic from the shore and deposit it into the plastic bank for which they would receive, um, I, I believe it was two cents a pound, and then he would turn around and recycle it at nine cents a pound. And it just turned out that the amount that he was paying the people to pick up the plastic from the shores um, was actually more than they were earning in the shops at that time. So he had a measurable impact on the environment in that he, he's measuring exactly how many pounds of plastic he's taking out. He had a measurable impact on um, the, the society there because he had a, a, a measurable financial gain for the people doing this work. And then on top of that, he had his bottom line, his profit. And this thing grew to a $200 million company. And what I realized was that, that, was that the rules of the game, the, the way that the business operated, right? The rules of the game were kind of set up for everyone to win. And, and that's what it kind of boiled down to, was that as long as the rules of the business are sort of set up so that everything is winning, you kind of create something that what a government would typically do, right, where most people would pass it off and say, well, this is government's problem, right? But whereas there's also a bottom line, a profit motivation that then pushes out that good. So it becomes an organization that's not only self-sustaining, but also profitable, that then doing that, that quote-unquote good for the world. Um, so basically when it came to elephant learning, that's what we had to do as well, was we just had to set up the rules of the game so that we could get everyone to win. And this is, it's really neat because there are so many ways that we can impact the world in a positive way. And it can be everything like the plastic bank stories, really. I love that one, actually. It's, it's funny. I uh, talked with uh, another fellow, uh, Colin McIntosh, uh, founded a company called Sheets and Giggles. Uh, aside from being one of the funniest, you know, <laughs> names of the companies, it's actually based, it. based in Denver. And, and he is also a member of the CEO. And he had introduced me to the to that. And, and it was funny. Those, those stories kind of carry around and they're very meaningful. So, but that, it doesn't literally have to be 
you know, physically interacting with uh, a, an, an, an earth saving, you know, activity, it can be something that we can do to empower people. And it was interesting that, you know, in the plastic bank story, of course, is like you said, what, what seems like a, to a North American person, probably it's almost like a pittance of a wage, but not realizing that in, in that, in the other parts of the world, $2 a pound to collect something can be an incredible boost in what they can earn relative to the local wages. Now, what I'm really excited about what you're doing is bringing what I feel is such a future focused and profound concept is bringing mathematics and and the true you know advanced mathematics learning and just co common mathematics to children which because it feels to me like one of the biggest challenges i've found in the, in the general school system is that it's it's just fallen off like there's been so many incredible advancements in science and mathematics but the curriculum doesn't feel like it's caught up in traditional schooling and so let's just get into elephant learning i'd love to hear what was your story and, and what you're solving uh, with with your approach to the at the platform okay well i'm just going to tell it to you just the way it happened because it makes more sense that way um and then you know in that you're going to hear all the stats so you know i was having a conversation with my ex-professor as i had mentioned and really i was trying to move away from the contract software engineering business i was looking to move into something more of a product um and we, we were kind of failing with an IOT product. We had an IOT product that was going out there and it, it just wasn't working for us. So um, my professor had met with me and um, he had an NSF grant that we were applying for. And the NSF grant was to take research done by the National Science Foundation and try to make a company out of it. So immediately I'm asking him, so like, tell me about this company because like, you know, if, if you're gonna put me in charge of a company, I'm not the guy who's just going to do it for the grant money. I'm going to have to take it seriously. And he's trying to pitch me these math games that you, that you put into school. And I had a lot of problems with that. I said, one, we don't have any relationships in the school. Two, um, I don't know, like math games, right? Like whether kids even really want to play it. So if I'm not going to the school, if I'm trying to pitch it to kids, I just don't know if there's a real market for it. Um, and three, I was a TA over at the University of Denver for six or seven years as I got my graduate degree. And to be honest with you, in math class, not many re people really wanted to be there. There was, there was only like a handful of kids that actually wanted to be there and the rest were just kind of there because it was a requirement. And so I said, you know, like, I'm having a real hard time with this. And so what he tells me is that four out of five children start kindergarten unprepared for the kindergarten curriculum. Now, immediately I'm like, well, Alvaro, that's, that's really difficult to believe because um, where does the kindergarten curriculum even start? He says the curriculum starts at counting to 10. I said, so you're, t uh, sorry, at counting to 20. So I'm saying, so you're telling me that these students can't count to 20. He says, no, they can't count to 10 because it starts at counting to 20. The prerequisite is that they can count to 10. I say, that's also extremely difficult to believe. Can you, can you explain to me why this disparity exists and he says well for the common parent if the child says the numbers one two three four five through ten that's a thumbs up that's good to go but when the kindergarten says counting to ten what they mean is can you give me ten things the child slides over ten things and stops at ten 
I said, okay, well, the second one's definitely much harder than the first. I can see the difference in the first. They could be just saying the numbers. The second one, they actually have to understand what 10 is. And that ends up being the basis for the entire system. Um, it turns out that the preschool math scores predict fifth grade uh, overall scores, and that preschool math scores predict third grade reading scores better than preschool reading scores. So all of the metrics that the education system is using right now as a means of, you know, how is the student doing, third grade reading being probably one of the most important, seems to stem from the preschool math. Now, if you look at it from the student's perspective, um, what we're really saying is that they have a, they have a, a miscomprehension, if you will, a, a misunderstanding. They don't understand what the numbers mean, but they're sitting in class and they're being taught that. A similar situation where, would be if me or you went into a third year biochem class, right? So on average, children are about three years behind, uh, depending on what neighborhood they come from and what income bracket they're in. Um, so if we, me or you went to a third year biochem class, uh, we would hear the professor. It sounded like he's speaking English, but we wouldn't understand much of what he was saying because we missed about three years of jargon. Well, it just turns out that this jargon of mathematics is so fundamental that it's considered vocabulary. But more than that, mathematics happens to be very visual, very like touch and feel, right? So it's kind of like the color red. I can't teach a very young child what the color red is unless I show them red things. And in the same way, right, I can't teach them what the numbers mean. I can't teach them what addition or subtraction is. I can't teach them multiplication unless I really show them what's happening. So, you know, uh, going from fifth grade, eighth grade math scores predict whether you drop out of high school, only 75% uh, only 25% of high school students are proficient at high school mathematics. That's an NECP stat, NECP. And 69% um, of STEM majors switch to a major with less math. So we're, we're not graduating the number of technologists that we could graduate. And now, because society is so data-driven with computers being everywhere, even business is so statistically driven that the professors are having a hard time reaching the students and the business students are switching majors to a major with less math. And what that really means is, is that the majority of our students are going into humanities, which in itself is not a bad thing, except for that the economic impact is that, you know, a yearly salary is capped in the humanities around $50,000, $60,000 per year. So when we look at, for example, Elizabeth Warren trying to forgive the student debt, this is what that's around. We have an entire generation of children that we told you can grow up to be anything you want to be. They tried to become scientists, technologists, engineers, mathematicians. They tried to become business people, and they ended up in the humanities, which is kind of a devastating story every time I encounter one of these people. Like, I wanted to be a physics major because, because I didn't want to be doing math. Physics is all differential equations. I became an English major. It's a completely different life. Yeah, and this is in, the interesting thing that did he is the this sort of the the breakdown as you reach each gate effectively strips off a percentage of potential students who can excel or even participate at that level. And it's we had this challenge in STEM. STEM has probably, you know, reached the most uh, uh, like sort of highly visible 
state of, you know, being a challenged part of the industry because like you, you laid out is this idea that we have, we have first a pipeline problem and the question, so that's what we say. People always say like, Oh, it's a pipeline problem. Well, that's great. But what is the pipe now let's break down the pipeline problem and you effectively have done this. And, and like you said, jargon is incredibly important. Like I can go and I can listen to, uh, I can, I can listen to Dr. Michio Kaku and, and listen to folks like Brian Callen and and talk to these people and, and learn about things like, you know, differential mathematics, literally up to the point of like understanding what spinners are and learning like what, and you, you get through these incredible things about, you know, reading Hawking and you can read it and it makes sense while you're reading it because I've hit a level of understanding of, of the jargon, but it, you know, an hour and a half later, <laughs> most of it sort of falls off because it's not a part of my vernacular. It's not a part of my continuous learning. And so if I read it every day, if I studied it every day, it ultimately would lead to me knowing more. So here's the trick, right? That you go into the school system. And like you said, when children struggle, they hear the words and they can maybe pull off enough to kind of get a passing grade to get through the, the just enough to get through it. And then we kind of move them through the system and and really don't go back and kind of revisit how we can make that either is it interactive learning and, and like you said counting to 10 counting from the you know the going through the numerals of one two to ten for you know a child can can be done it's it's done by rote it's effect it's memorization but then the abstract concept of finding 10 items and collecting them together it's it seems easy for you and I and, and people that are listening to this, but it's like, that's no different than me asking any one of our listeners right now. Okay. I want you to go and, and study the idea of, you know, spinner theory and, and how is it different than, than, than other, and other quantum theories. And they'll just be like, well, sure. it doesn't, it's so abstract. Like I, I have no relationship to that thing that you just asked me. Like, but, if I explain it to you, it'll and, make complete And sense. anyone with a three-year-old honestly should, should be able to understand this, right? I have a three-and-a-half-year-old at home, and I mean, he's using some words. I'm not sure he knows what they mean, you know, right? He's not using them correctly. It's just they're learning the language at that age. <laughs> it's funny. I was thinking this morning, I have a four-year-old, and, and he says, Daddy, I need you for one second. He has no idea what it means to say that, but he knows it'll get me. Like he knows that that will make me stop. And he knows that it, like he's, he's in it for the long haul. This is not, there's no one second in his mind. He's like, I need you to sit down beside me until I'm done with you. But he knows to use the words, I need you for one second. <laughs> so I know this what is, you mean. My, my three-year-old can't understand later. I'm like, I'll do that. I'll do that in, in, a, in a little bit later and he won't get it. So, well, and this I, is I'm it, right? It's teaching him time. It's a, it's it's a abstract concepts that are. This is the the really also the tough part when we talk about sim. We talk about the pipeline problem. We talk about learning and schooling and the change in sort of what the net effect is of these things when you shape you know you you shape people's futures at all these different gates. And then the problem we've got is you go on Twitter and you you talk to people in amongst our peer group, and we generally collect with other peers who are alike. And so that's a natural 
natural thing. It's, it's what we do is we, we group together in communities of, of people that are like-minded. And so, especially if you go online and you get those people, they're talking about stuff and you realize like, Hey, if you're on Twitter, number one, you're probably in 1% of the population of the world because you're a subset of people. You're a subset of people that has access to the internet and most likely is also on a mobile phone. So strip, 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 you know, strip down the subnets and, and the subsets and you are now in sort of a, a somewhat elite group of people. And so the tough part is the peers have these conversations. And then when you try to explain to them, like you did, Aditya is, okay, well, I've got a, th- I need to have a three-year-old take a simple abstract concept of counting 10 items and, and most kids can't do it. And it's just for many people who are listening to this, it's unfathomable, but it's the truth. And the numbers have been borne out that that's the case. So now you you've got a, you, you, you laid a big bet, right? That you, you wanted to be able to now go in and, and, and affect the situation. How did, how did you suddenly say, I think I can help to close this gap? That's a great question. So basically um, after, after I received all of this information and understood it, I, I immediately began to think, okay, well, so what you're telling me is there's a big enough of a problem here that um, that that there's a market, and I might not be able to approach the schools, but I can certainly approach the parents with this story, right? I mean, if this is true, they're going to have to resonate with the story. And so um, there's that. The second part of it is I also realized that there cannot be anything else on the market that was effective, because if there was something on the market that was effective the schools would be using it and we wouldn't be looking at the statistics we were looking at. <clears throat> I mean, as soon as you are able to digitize something effectively, right? I mean, it's copy paste after that. So at that point I asked Alvaro about the games that he had already built and he had built uh, some games for preschoolers and kindergartners. And um, I asked him, well, how effective are these games? Like, what are we talking about here? And he said, well, the problem is, is there's no standards for preschoolers or kindergartners, so I can't really say that. Um, and I said, okay, but you've already told me today what the average three-year-old knows, what the average four-year-old knows, what the average five-year-old knows, what the average six-year-old knows. How, like, how would you say they're progressing? And he says, we use it in a classroom 10 minutes a day, five days a week, and they gain a year of math in three months on average. <clears throat> and that's when I said, Okay, well, if that's true, then I definitely have something that I can take and, and, and work with. Um, we ultimately had to rebuild the entire system from scratch. So we, we started all over again. And one of the main things was, was we were focusing on math. <clears throat> so like, whereas most games are trying to make math fun, what we're trying to do is trying to make math as the fun. So the research uh, that Alvaro was quoting to me said that Many children, if they understand the math, feel like it's a puzzle. So it's like a puzzle game, right? And many of the activities that the early age uh, education researchers that w- were putting out, which is actually what Oliver was taking to, to create these games, um, were, were activities that could be gamified. So we turned into a gamification of a proven curriculum. And after stripping away some of the stuff for the games that we felt were less uh, uh, valuable, to both the child and the parent, we were able to increase the average to one and a half years over three months. 
and they only use it about 25 minutes a week on average. And so we said, okay, if we guarantee that your child will learn one year of math in three months, using it 30 minutes per week, we've increased the amount of time uh, that they're using it by eight minutes a week. We've increased the amount of usage from 10 weeks to three months, and we're guaranteeing a lot less than what average is. So this should be, from an actuarial perspective, a bet that's easy to win, right? So that's why we now guarantee that your child will learn a year of math in three months. We've seen children do a lot more than that, especially young children, because they haven't de developed the math anxiety yet. If you can imagine, what's actually happening in our classrooms is pretty close to torture. Um, what it is, the strategy is, is here, add until you understand what addition is, or multiply until you understand what multiplication is, memorize this stuff. It doesn't make any sense to them. They're literally asking out loud, when am I going to use this? And worse than that, we're basically pitting their future on it. We're saying, hey, you're not going to be able to get a job unless you can understand this. You still have to pass the test, but no one's going back to help them at the level where they do understand. And that's what our system does. So beyond the gamification of the proven curriculum, we have these advanced algorithms that are quickly able to determine what your child understands and doesn't understand, and then meet them at their level. So if you got a third grader who's having problems with counting, we will actually meet them at counting and build them up from counting back up to multiplication division where they should be in the third grade. These children that are catching up in our system, they're reporting increased confidence because they can go into the classroom, they can now understand the teacher at the level that the teacher is teaching, and they can now participate in class. Well, this is the, the thing that you've really pulled together some of the most fundamental concepts and done it for all of the right reasons. And this is why I was extremely excited when I knew that I had a chance to, to have this discussion with you, Aditya, because we today have so many apps and games and things that are obviously aimed towards children and they're aimed towards utilizing the very simplest core functions of behavioral psychology. Gamification is a nice way that, you know, people say about keeping people engaged and, and performing behavioral imprints uh, and, and changing behaviors through gamification and rewards. Now this, it can sound either very dark, which is how most of these, most applications are, are built. Like apps game, you know, aimed at towards kids are always around like, we'll reach you to a certain point and then you have to unlock a thing. To unlock a thing, you have to do another thing. Oh, you could get there faster if you put a couple of dollars uh, towards this, right? And it's, it's this unfortunate, you know, all of these people that learn from the foundations of like stuff like B what BJ Fogg brought to the world and who BJ Fogg himself is very aggressively going out to sort of stave off the negative use of, of behavioral psychology and persuasive computing. So what I love is that you have very much gone at exactly the positive use of behavioral rewards towards something that can very literally change the path of somebody's future on a daily basis, just by small incremental learning, small incremental, you know, behavioral help and, and really bringing kids towards something that, you know, let's put it in the context that matters to them 
and then the outcomes are are what we get. So I'd love to hear about that, Aditya. What what did your early work and sort of the early use of the platform get you? I'd love to hear some of the stories and and what people said when they put their kids into into the platform. Well, yeah. So uh, so so early on, we 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 even started with some pretty uh, heart wrenching stories, um, but the ones that that's memorable is one of the first stories that came out was there was a child in our system. I think uh, his first name was Ethan and Ethan. Um, I, he was, if I remember correctly, four or five years of age and he was doing multiplication and division um, three months in. So he had picked up two or three years worth of math. So again, with the young students, right, because they didn't develop that anxiety towards math as yet. Well, they, they don't even know that this is two or three years ahead. They're just playing the game. Um, since then, we've we've had a lot of stories. Uh, another one that's really memorable is um, I was just reading a scholarship application the other day, and a parent had wrote in that they have a uh, 12-year-old daughter, and the daughter um, was operating at the third grade level. So this is before they even came into the system. And basically at the end, she's like, you you have to help me. Please help me. Uh, so we we do offer a scholarship program where um, where uh, uh, if you're a low income family you can get it at an extremely discounted rate um, even if you're if you're having troubles affording it at thirty five dollars a month we can discount the rate uh, it's an application process uh, though to be honest with you many people will receive some funds so um, anyway so she she was you know like please help me. And I just, like, this was a marketing exercise. We weren't looking at the data, but I read this thing, and I was just kind of so heartbroken by what she was writing. I mean, I think she said the father passed away uh, when uh, the child was in first grade, so uh, the child repeated first grade and um, has been lost since the second grade and is operating right now at the third grade level. And I, I just had to go look look this person up. And what we found was that um, her student did actually catch up uh, to age, uh, she got to an elephant age of 12 and a half, which is our, our math age. So that's incredible. Um, yeah. And yeah. It's, those are the, and those are the, those are the reasons that we, we do the things like, obviously there are people that you're probably bringing within a, within a band or a range, but the fact that you can also have those stories that very, you know, sort of very profound effect that you've had on that, just that child and that family ultimately who, you know, and, and also I applaud you for, for giving the, you know, giving the opportunity to get people into the platform that may not have had access to it because of the, the, the money impact. It's, this also is, you know, when you talk about the, the, the three, the three pillared approach of, of doing good uh, and sustainability in, in, creating this platform is you know you're those kids are going to remember you know in one way or another what got them there and uh, those parents are probably very much you know <laughs> they're they're looking to the sky thanking somebody uh what they should be doing is looking to looking to the SaaS platform and thanking <laughs> you and the team for 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 introducing their kids to this now what's the what's the impact for you in how you look at this and scale 
you know, this, uh, because obviously there's, you know, you can get access to a certain pool of, of kids who are ready to use the system. What are you looking to as the next phases did you to kind of like get this into a broader audience and get more, more folks in to help them through this, this process? Sure. Well, part of it is, uh, is doing things like this. So what we, what we found out pretty quickly is that Facebook is sort of losing its numbers. Um, it's, it's not the party that it used to be uh, in that the audience that they're telling us that we're having is not the same as the size of the audience that we end up reaching. That is what it is. I mean, no one can make people use Facebook if they're not using it. So really the next step for us is to start to communicate with people that maybe aren't on Facebook or stopped using Facebook or anything of that nature. So, you know, expansion of audience in, in that manner. We also do have a classroom product that's currently in beta. It's being piloted in two or three uh, classrooms around the country right now, very selectively. And um, we've piloted it before, so this is the second run of the test. And it's really about can we put a process around uh, for the teacher to use the tool more effectively, right? Because in a classroom setting, they're really at a disadvantage. The big problem happens to be that you have 30 students there. There's no way to work with them one-on-one -on -one, uh, in any realistic fashion, especially you know as classroom sizes are even getting bigger, right? 30 to 40 to 50. And so what our system is able to do is able to um, maybe mitigate some of that one-on-one -on -one, one -on -one work. We're able to then tell uh, the teacher that, well, this student is in third grade, but they're operating at the first grade level. So giving them the typical lecture that you would give the rest of the third graders probably is not the best thing to do. And ultimately come up with cohorts, you know, so where 75 to 80% of the classroom is behind, at, at least the teacher can know it and then lecture to them and then catch them up, right? I mean, the system will also help catch them up and then catch them up to where they're supposed to be, which honestly happens very quickly within, we, we've seen, even catch-ups like two, three, four, five years worth of math happen in three or four months. So it's just a matter of usage and then noticing where uh, the hiccups may be and then a little bit of coaching. We don't really want to give students the answer uh, because we don't want them to revert back to memorization, but we want to give them a hint where they can get that aha moment, that, that click in the head that they get it. And then from there, their, their progress speeds right back up. The the unlocking of that capability and there they create their own reward system by doing it because like you said if you create it in a in a way that it becomes a puzzle we as humans just by nature we adore completing puzzles and getting through these sort of you know, discovery uh, you know phases as we do a thing. And it's, it's a beautiful feeling that you can create. And it's literally, you know, lighting up dopamine receptors. Like it is a, a neurological effect that you can create. And then if you do that, then like you said, you can get the acceleration. And it's neat that you talk about the class it's because that's it. It's a very different thing. Individual association is one thing. But going out of the classroom effectively means that you've got a range of, of capabilities and, and learning levels and to be able to create a greater cohort of kids that are in the the same level is is really really difficult. Especially you know teachers have math, you know uh, science, you know English, uh, humanities, social sciences, like all these different things. 
they generally don't have time to put extra time towards any one single thing because we're really kind of cramming a lot of stuff into our kids' heads uh, just to, and also trying to make them not hate school. So we have to, if there's a way that yeah. you can create, do things and make learning enjoyable and have them discover the rewards themselves. So, so cool. Now you, you have young kids, so this is probably meaningful to you. Uh, I'm curious if when you founded this and you, and you decided what you were going to build, how how young was your family, or did you approach it with the idea like you had a personal story yourself that that brought you towards this? Absolutely, yeah. So actually, when I was young, um, my mother would actually go to the school every year in the summer and try to get the books for the following year. So they she'd find my next teacher. She'd find out, she'd go find that teacher, say, what books are you going to use? And back then, the, the, they would just, you know, they'd use that card in the book, right? And they'd just put your name on it. So they'd just give me my book at the beginning of the summer. And my mom would sit down and make us do the math for the following year. And I remember that, you know, like there was, there was, sometimes there was tears. I wasn't always the one crying them, but sometimes there was tears. And um, I just remember how intense that was. And then the impact that had on my life, because I mean, to get where I am, to understand what I understand, to do what I do um, at the level that I do it, um, to be honest with you, I, I thank math for that, right? Like, um, if you look at computer science, it's a division of mathematics, uh, especially in Europe. Like, if you go to a European university, the math department, or the computer science department is uh, within the applied mathematics department, uh, within that, that housing. And it just turns out that, like, through abstraction, you can really get the computer to do more with less. And so I, I kind of look back at my history, how I got here, how did I build that software firm? How did we put out so many products so quickly um, and so effectively? And it was, it was the abstraction. It was the skills that I learned through mathematics. So I thank her for that. And now back into the context of, you know, that conversation with my professor, uh, the real context there was my wife was uh, about six months pregnant when, when this went down, uh, five or six months. And, and I was sitting there thinking, well, gosh, what he's really telling me is that I can't really depend on the school system to, to handle this problem for me, right? Handle the problem of the education, handle the problem of passing on the math that was given to me by my parents. And my responsibility is sort of his, uh, uh, his education is my responsibility is what I was thinking. His education is part of my responsibility. So how am I going to handle this? And, and as soon as Alvaro started talking to me about what the solution was and how, these, how he got these activities and how he did the same thing with his daughters and what he had to do to go through it, I said, well, all we really need to do is push that information straight to the parent right at the level that the child is working at, right? If you just did that, if you could just tell me where my kid was, and, and, and how is the effective method of teaching this concept, I would be able to take that, I would be able to use that and, and, um, and, and, and do what you did, even if the activities didn't work, but the activities do work. So overall, this is a win, right? So like even if the child gets stuck, and that's what our dashboard does, is we help you figure out where is the child stuck, if we detect that there's some uh, uh, some some failures, some some missing questions, we will start to flag it. Like, hey, you should take a look at this subject. And in there, we give the parent games 
uh, advice, if you will, games that they can play with their child outside of the system. A good example is board games if your child is learning to count or, you know, basketball uh, if your child is learning to skip count or, right, even if you're trying to build uh, fluency, like, you know, speed of addition, speed of multiplication, you could play blackjack, you could play, um, you could play war with, uh, with flashcards. And we just try to give you these tips uh, at the right time. So like, hey, the child can now understand enough to do this. So if you did this, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be an exercise in memorization. It wouldn't be scary to them. They're totally going to understand what you're saying. You could totally play this game. And that's kind of the idea. At the end of the day, we just like with the plastic bank, we tried to build the mission and the game around the mission to, to just be good. So the mission is empower children with math. The vision is can we change the way the world teaches mathematics? How do we do that? Well, we empower mathematics that the world has to turn and look and say, hey, wait a second, what's going on over here? We're taking children that said they couldn't do it, and now they're saying they can do it, and that is a shift. That is uh, a true impact. And the, I think that we also have the problem that, you know, the parents often don't have a way in which they feel that they can impact the outcomes with their kids because they may not have their own math skills or they don't know how to move back down to the level because once you learn those abstractions, it's really difficult to separate yourself from them, right? So you're trying to teach a, a four-year-old or a three-year-old how to, you know, count 11 red items, uh, you know, it's, it just makes complete sense to the parents. And so sometimes it's hard to slow down and teach them like, okay, here's one, which one's red, which one, like there's all of these things that we just, we already get. So it's hard to detach yourself from what's already known. And, and this is where, where it's good. And, and like you said, as you get further on those kids, we, everybody says, well, I want my kids to get into programming or get into, you know, gaming or whatever, well, computers is math, like you said, all the way up to the highest levels. Math is, it requires computers. Computers requires math. You know, it, any comp sci grad has to do a significant amount of statistical analysis and, and understanding of mathematical concepts and algebraic concepts. And it, it's not necessarily that they're doing like, you know, high levels of, of calculus and, and physics, but there's there's got to be a foundation there in order to do the exercise that you're doing in computers. And then the reverse is, is also true. Anybody that's doing serious, you know, mathematics or doing psychology, guess what? You need to know statistics. You need to learn how to, to you know, program in R to do <laughs> all of this analysis work on, on large data sets and stuff. It's like, you, we cannot detach these things from each other. And the fact that we know that we get impacted at the ground floor is I think we all have a responsibility to do it. And, and I'm, I'm glad that you're, you're doing something. What now let's talk about the business. If you don't mind, how did you, how, how did you choose to approach, you know, getting, getting things rolling and, and taking your first, your first product to market and, and how are you looking at how you're going to be able to scale this company? Sure. Yeah. So uh, again, right. Mainly our mainly our attraction is Facebook, and it's difficult because um, uh, so many people go to Facebook and they have a hard time there. 
and and there's so many different uh, things out there that are telling you to do X, Y, Z. At the end of the day, the place where Facebook's really good is they have these algorithms. And because of, you know, my background, when they started talking about these algorithms and, and, and how you can jiggle the system in order to get it to work, uh, that's ultimately what we did. And the real trick is just, you know, uh, there's this debate between like, do you want to hit more people or do you want to hit more qualified people, right? So like immediately what happened when we got three to 500 sales is Facebook brought us in to a call and said, what you want to do is you want to create a 1% lookalike audience. If you create this 1% lookalike audience, we'll get you 2 million people that looks like the 500 people that purchased. Um, but what I found out soon after creating that 1% audience was that um, some of my friends who had children that were well beyond what we taught at the time um, were getting the ads and they were coming to me and they're like, hey man, we're seeing Elephant Learning on Facebook. Congratulations, it must be blowing up. And I'm sitting there thinking, but why are you even seeing my ad? There's no potential way for you to, to even buy. So we went back to Facebook and we narrowed down that 1% audience uh, to say, hey, they should be in your 1% audience Facebook, but they should also be a parent um, of a child who's between 2 and 12. It's standard demographic information that's, that's in Facebook. And that cut our audience by a third. So like we went down to like 500, 600,000 people. And um, it wasn't advised, but the, the ratio of convert went high enough for the algorithms to start tuning in. <clears throat> At some point, the pixel is so trained that we can literally tell Facebook, target everyone in the United States, and, and, we're, and we're making sales at basically the same level as we target. So at this point, Facebook knows who our customer is, and they're able to bring them to us. Um, and again, it's about can we get them the right message, but then after that it's about um, can we expand our audience beyond that, right? Because, again, if the eyeballs have moved to Instagram or to Pinterest or to TikTok or maybe back to television, right, we're, we're missing the people that could be benefiting from this but just don't know because they're not on Facebook. Yeah, this is the interesting problem that you, you brought up and using the tuning and tightening of, of your audience is really challenging because the price to do so can be vastly more. And obviously, because they look and said, the more you tighten the audience, the more of the algorithm you're leveraging, they, uh, you know, like basically almost an exponential increase in, in the price to do so. So because they, they, they have to do a lot of work, you know, and they're, you're figuring out, you know, the effectiveness of it. And it's, it's always tough too, when you, like you said, Facebook, you know, Google, you name the platforms, there, there's bound to be mistargeted recipients. And it's, it's neat when we actually hear about it, because then you can say like, ah, 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 <laughs> I, I know that these people shouldn't be seeing my advertisement, what's, what's going on. Uh, and it's, this is probably one of the you could probably give a class on this alone. I think that's your, that'll be your next startup. Aditya is like uh, effective ad targeting, uh, you know, platforms and, and how to actually get the most out of them. Because I think this is a problem that a lot of founders are facing is how do I make sure that I'm effectively targeting to bring you know, new eyes to my platform? 
and uh, it's it can be an expensive set of lessons. How how did you approach? Like, did you use another tool or another you know sort of a coach to learn how to use some of the targeting mechanisms inside Facebook? Well, so the the targeting mechanisms in Facebook, uh, they're they're not uh, terribly hard to use. It's just there's a lot of categories was the issue. And this was before Cambridge Analytica and they, they removed a whole ton of categories. So when we got started, like you start opening up the categories on, on, on things and like, I mean, gosh, you, you can select people that follow a page and how many pages are out on Facebook, right? So like it, it's kind of this big hodgepodge and ultimately, right, it, it does come down to like their pixel, right? So the first thing is getting your pixel hooked up properly, right? Um, for us, I think the main mistake I made originally was we we called a purchase, uh, we called it uh, registration completed because I was like, oh, well, that's a cool thing to call it, right? Registration completed. But, and, and you can have Facebook's algorithm tuned to anything, but the default reports, they report how many purchases have been made. So, you know, <laughs> about six months in, I said, you know what, we're going to have to change this to purchases. We're going to lose that past data. I mean, we're not going to lose it, lose it, but like, it's, it's just like now, whenever I show it to, uh, to, a, to a potential vendor, whenever I show them my Facebook, they look at it and they go, well, it looks like you had zero purchases before this date. And I'm like, no, no, no. That was the date that we switched it to purchases. Before that, it was, it was registration completed. And then they'll go, oh, okay, now we see, right? So, so there's that problem, but now you know, like now I can open up the data and I can see it. I think scoreboards are very important. It's one of the things that we use internally as a team. It's one of the things that, you know, for example, EOS traction says that you should be using the, uh, the data component. Um, it's also something we leverage within elephant learning. It's why we came up with the elephant age. It's a one number metric that I can put in front of the parent or I can put in front of the child and it becomes a motivator because as they play, it goes up. So, I, I think that's very important. So as long as you have your key numbers in front of you, like you're going to start to be successful. Another thing that we ended up using that I think like, I mean, these guys aren't paying me, but they should be because I'm about to say it is <laughs> app.mrr.io app.mrr.io. It hooks into my Stripe and it gives me a dashboard with almost every single KPI I could think of as important. My MRR, how much I actually collected from that MRR, uh, what the refunds, uh, what, what's the number of refunds, what's our customer churn rate, what's uh, 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 our lifetime value, what's our, um, I mean, gosh, they have like maybe 15 things on there. I can't remember them all offhand, but like you just go to this page and all of them are right there. And that's what it is. Every day I would just, I, I literally have it open on my phone. I just hit refresh in the morning and I know exactly where I'm at from top level perspective and then, of course, from there, right, we have to keep the scorecards for how efficient Facebook's doing, how efficient our website's doing. I mean, we've really built up an operation around marketing from there. But, like, that's, that's the key is, like, knowing your numbers, being able to affect those numbers, and then having some people around you that can help you. Uh, bringing it back to Facebook, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's basically a, a text entry. And as you start entering it in, all the categories drop down, and you can just I want to filter more specifically, or I want to exclude a set of people. So it's basically your and or uh, set dynamics, right? Like if, 
if you think of it as set theory, right? And that's how I think of it is like, what are the set of the people in my target market? And then what is the set that I'm able to target using the Facebook demographics? And then what's that overlap? And I want that overlap to be as big as possible, right? I don't want to have too many people in the set outside of my target market, but also who Facebook's targeting. And this is the, uh, it's, it's neat that you highlighted, um, you know, the, the MRR folks, you know, because that is exactly it. It's like, if you're, if you're not tracking across the entire life cycle of your engagement, then it can really, really change the way that you're doing projections and, and application development. And, and so it's, it's so important <clears throat> And I've uh, you know uh, just spoke with somebody. He talks about what we call the smile curve, especially when you get you know stuff that has a network effect. Is that it, it's the smile curve is that you get this very strong immediate use, and then it will sort of potentially trail, and then those people will then re-engage with the platform, and then you see them. So they, and if when you see that, it then becomes the second half of the smile. And in fact, that's the best user because you got them in then they found a reason to re-engage and being able to see that measurement and that effect gives you you know that predictability so you can say hey this is how i'm going to scale my my underlying platform if i bring a new feature this is how i can measure the effectiveness and and you'll know especially with this like it's difficult to know how to measure the duration of effectiveness. You know, if you've got kids that go in, you can't measure across five days here. Is it 30 days? Is it 90 days? Is it 120 days? Like there are, you have to learn about how your engagement in the platform and can create an outcome that is both measurable for the, the person using it so that they're getting the benefit. And then also that you can say, all right, so I know as I, if I want to get 200 more kids in this platform or 2,000 and then 20,000, I know what, what my backend scaling needs to look like to support that. Right, yeah, I, all of that's important. Now, your, your background, and sorry, I just realized we're, we're getting towards the end and, and I, don't want to, uh, I don't want to have you suddenly have to run. If you've got a couple more moments, we can, I just want to explore one more thing if you don't mind, Aditya. Oh, I don't mind. Perfect. So this is, I'd love to get your advice. You know, what, what's the most challenging thing that you faced in building Elephant Learning that you could, you'd love to share with, with new founders who are thinking about, you know, putting a platform into, into the marketplace? Well, for me, it was the marketing. I mean, I think where I'd be able to help other founders is like through advice on technology because that was my background. But you got to remember, like I came into this and I had zero marketing. I, I went from a PhD program where I was a software developer to now I'm a software developer for someone else. Now I'm managing people who are software developers to, okay, now I want to build a product. And um, ultimately, like when I started here, and, and just like you said, like, did I have any help? I, I was consulting with a, with a marketer. He wanted to do Google AdWords. We weren't seeing much traction there either. And um, a lot of the people actually that EO was bringing in for learning, they were extremely helpful. We had a, we had a, a brand manager come in and, um, and we ultimately ended up paying him to come in and align the team around 
the brand idea of being effective. Um, and uh, we had a, a customer experience gentleman, Joey Coleman. I mean, he, he's been a lot of help as well. And like just at every step of the way, trying to figure out like, okay, well, here's where we are. Here's what we can afford to do to better ourselves or better the platform to the point where we are now where it's, well, we, we, we qualify for EO again. We're hiring people. We're going to try to put team in place to, to solve these problems, right, as a, as a machine, right? Like, can we look at reasons why people cancel? Can we figure out what the underlying problem is and design a solution? That's where I have a lot of experience. I think we can do that, right? But, for example, from the marketing side, um, some of these problems people have seen before, I've never seen before, and now I'm learning for the first time, how can I overcome this? And the problem is, is every time it kind of has to be new because the typical marketing uh, advice that might be out there, it just, it just goes away so fast, right? It's like, for example, at one point it was like, oh, you guys should be doing webinars. That's what the hot thing these days. Well, then just as soon as everyone's got a webinar, no one's watching webinars anymore because no one's getting information from these webinars. So now that, that uh, strategy is defunct. So yeah, that's, the good news of, is you, you caught on to the wave. The bad news is you caught on to the back end of the wave. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. So, so, so that's the hard part about marketing is that you always got to be inventing. You always got to be creative. And uh, I'll just be honest, for like someone that's new to it, it's sort of exhausting because it's like just as soon as I figured out the problem is solved, well, gosh, I got another problem six, ten months down the road that I just didn't know was going to happen. Well, this is the... I think also where folks can leverage other platforms and luckily in this, this economy in this day and age, we've got access to, you know, products that are out there that are services that are SaaS that we can get access to. So I think luckily at this phase in, in business building, there's so many good options, but like you said, the best thing you can do is find somebody else who's in your ecosystem or, or, or meet new peers who have gone through and, and lived these, these lessons. Uh, you know, they're not always going to play out the same way for you and your platform necessarily relative to their experience. But Entrepreneurs Organization is a great example of, of folks that you can literally get in. They're in this, they've reached a certain phase of growth. Uh, because there's revenue requirements in order to be part of it and, and membership. So people very much have a vested interest in the outcomes from this. And that's a great, uh, great organization. Uh, there's even, you know, simple as meetups and, and looking to other mentoring teams. I would, you know, I would encourage people too. I've got a whole host of, of resources I'm about to put up on the podcast sites just because there's been so many good lessons that I've, I've been able to share through these stories for folks. So, and, and Aditya, you're going to be on that list of, of great people that these are, are solid lessons. And, and just, I applaud you again for number one, congratulations on the fact that you've, you've reached revenue in order to get to EO uh, and, and more than anything, just congratulations on building a, a sustainable business and a platform that can truly change the future for somebody and and to do so at scale, which is which is pretty cool. That uh, so big big plans. Twenty twenty is here. Uh, uh, have you have you got? What's your sort of next big target for for yourself and the team? 
Well, that's a great question. Yeah. So, no, for us and the team, it's actually to 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 try to slow down a little bit. I've gotten advice from multiple people, including some of my my EO network, that I'm just moving way too fast. So, like to your point that of what you just said, I think right now is probably the best time ever in in the history of mankind to be an entrepreneur because of all the SaaS solutions that are out there, because of how much you can leverage computers to help you to get this done without people. We've managed to make it this far with just very, very small amount of team. And now what we're trying to do is put some heads into some roles because like I, I can't I can't honestly say that this is a business that was intended then to go out and change the world so long as it depends on me doing the work. So it's time to put it in the hands of people and have those people drive the company uh, to some degree. I'm still obviously going to, you know, point the ship in the right direction. Uh, but until I'm kind of fully out of operations, this doesn't fulfill the mission of empowering children with mathematics. Well, and that's, that's actually a very difficult thing to, to discover and embrace. And, and, and also, you know, again, it's, it's so hard as a founder, you just get in such a mode where you're like, I've got to be go, go, go all the time. And this, this sort of like hustle porn, you know, lifestyles that you hear, but like, you know, I, I enjoy listening to some of the, the, the incredible motivational people that just because it's funny to me. Cause I know, look, I've lived a life. I work in a startup and like, it's, it's always there to be done. Like the, if I worked 24 hours a day, I'd find a reason to need four more. <laughs> but if I work eight hours a day and 10 hours a day and do it effectively, you know, I've, I, I started to change my patterns of, of work to be more effective and create things that I can do that are scalable beyond me. And, and it took a while. Uh, so again, Aditya, the fact that you've reached this point where number one, you've created a business that can now be, you know, can be into, put into the hands of somebody else to help to keep it driving and growing. And, and that's, that's going to be a great chance for you because you've, you've got so much to bring to it. And, uh, Hey, you deserve a break. <laughs> you've done you've done good things. Take a breather. Spend some time uh, with with your your son, and you know. So it won't just be it won't be app time that we spend with our kids. It's the fact that you'll finally have a break and be able to spend some real family time, and and it'll be well deserved. So, uh, Aditya, I want to thank you very much for for sharing some of these great lessons today, and and just congratulations again on on your the growth, and and I, I wish you all the success. We'll catch up again too in the future because i really do want to explore a bit more of like kind of the your experiences again going through eo and some of the mentoring opportunities because i think i'd love to get folks introduced to you as well who who are are getting started you it sounds like you it would be a good match uh what's the best way if folks want to reach you uh and and sort of get in contact with Ditty if they if they do so desire Sure. Uh, I mean, typically it's via email. Uh, it's just um, my first name and my last, the first letter of my first name and my last name at elephantheadsoft.com, anagrath at elephantheadsoft.com. Um, that's really the best way to get a hold of me. And uh, um, I really appreciate it. I'm always happy to chat again. I mean, this was, this was great. I, you know, like if I can tell my story and it helps people, it makes me feel honored because, I mean, I got so much listening to other people's stories over the last three or four years and, and learning from them. 
that's it. It's uh, it's an amazing thing, and it's I've always been surprised at when I hear, you know, people. And the more that we do this too, is be, we become connectors to other things because you ultimately will get in front of more podcasters and more audiences, and then you'll someone will say like, hey the way you tell the story, it reminds me of somebody else who I talked to. And, and next thing you know, you find yourself in a pure, you know, uh, matchup now to somebody else who was also a podcast guest or host or something like that. So it's, it's an amazing thing. Like the network effect is so positive on this stuff. And it's, I feel like it's like Strava in the idea that it's all positive thing. No one says like, oh, you know, uh, let me introduce you to somebody who's going to tell you horror stories. See, like, no, no, no. It's like, we are all here to kind of coach each other through to the next phase. And sometimes we have a difficult run or a difficult ride, but you're, there's always someone there to say like, ah, cool. You know, and just most, more than anything, it's just good to hear stories of folks that are, that are in the, in that grind with you and, and able to, to reach these neat milestones together. Um, and again, for folks that want to get hear more great stories like this, please do subscribe to the podcast. You can do so through iTunes, also through Stitcher. Uh, if you rate it, it's also very advantageous for us. Uh, so I, I recommend folks go in, give us a rating, uh, leave, leave a review. It's, it's always welcome and, and appreciated. With that, Aditya, thank you very much. Uh, I look forward to uh, using the platform myself uh, and and really seeing you know how I can I can share this with the world and I'll make sure to evangelize uh, what you're doing for for kids everywhere. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. <laughs>